Imagine there's no heaven It's easy if you try No hell below us Above us only sky And all the people living for today. Welcome. My name is Anne Wilson, and it is my pleasure to host the Emerge Australia podcast series in which we speak to people impacted by and associated with MECFS and long COVID. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we meet and pay our respects to elders past, present, emerging and those listening today. So at a time where we have so much upheaval across the planet, reflecting on John Lennon's iconic song, Imagine, is very appropriate. Can you imagine a world where there is no discrimination or stigma, no racism, a world where the voices of those suffering invisibly in silence are heard, where they're seen, where they're addressed, a world where we have no wars, a cure for MECFS, or at least a biomarker or a diagnostic test, let alone updated clinical guidelines for MECFS. Imagine all the people. Today we talk to Mark Clisby. Mark has worked in the Australian public service, universities and NGOs for over 35 years, including as Deputy Director of Human Resources at Flinders University, Director of Human Resources at the Australian National University and Operations Director at Oxfam Australia and Director of Research Services at La Trobe University. He's held a range of pro bono roles in NGOs and not-for-profits, including jointly initiating the Oxfam Australia Monash University Partnership and chairing its Governance Committee. He is also a member of the Institute for Human Security and Social Change Advisory Committee at La Trobe University. Mark is a co-founder and CEO of Two Social Enterprises, Research Coaching Australia and the Higher Education and Research Group. But most importantly for this conversation, Mark is the Chair of Emerge Australia and is committed to ensuring the highest standards of government, governance and management for our organisation, leading our board and actively contributing to the Finance and Risk Governance and Medical and Scientific Advisory Committees. Mark, it's such a pleasure to welcome you to our podcast series and it's a delight to be interviewing you today. Thanks, Anne, and thanks for that introduction, Anne. Also a delight for me to be here. Oh, great. So let's kick things off. Let's start by asking you to let our listeners know what led you to becoming involved with Emerge Australia initially. Well, I'd just come off um, co-chairing that Oxfam Monash partnership and I, and I was looking around for something else to assist with and, and um, you tend to look at your family or I, I do, and our daughter-in-law Sarah uh, had has MECFS, and and I thought that it would be a a good contribution. And you were advertising in the newsletter, so the value of the newsletter. 
advertising for for board members and i thought oh well i'll i'll see and went through the process and here i am wow so it often happens doesn't it that people who come onto boards have either a direct connection as in they themselves might have the disease or they have someone in their family that's associated with the disease that leads them to want to know more and and contribute. So we're delighted that you did. Can you tell me a little bit about the journey that your family has been through with MECFS and how you know that has impacted Sarah? Well, well, I think in many respects, my decision to get involved at that level is because you want to give a bit of privacy to Sarah and Dale, our son, around their journey. And so we we helped out as, you know, parents-in-law and Sarah's parents helped as well. And, you know, you provide that level of support, but there's a limit to what you can do in terms of support. And so, you know, Sarah is a bit unusual. She was diagnosed quite early. She, she was 12 and it was 1996. And there were a couple of other girls in her class that were diagnosed at the same time. And uh, the kids were told that it was contagious, and yep. that, that it was yuppie flu, which was the kind of 80s, 90s term that was thrown around. And 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 so she had to, to cope with that. And her parents you know, had to try and find answers, and, and there weren't answers. And as, as Sarah says, you know, there wasn't the internet and there wasn't the sort of advice, and there might have been a sort of uh, self-help group, but... It wasn't, you know, what emerges today. And so, you know, it was quite confronting and challenging. And and over the years, she's had bits and pieces of remissions, but probably not remissions, but it probably felt like remissions, the way she's described in the past. And then she met our son Dale in 2009, and, and he became her full-time carer in 2010. And they went on you know, a journey then together trying to find treatment and, you know, various diagnoses. So that sort of went to all, all the doctors that you go to when you're on that sort of journey and didn't get answers. And, you know, they see it a, a bit as medical neglect in a way that there just wasn't anything that could help her. And and so she ended up in a, a state where she was, you know, almost coma-like and, you know, Dale was really worried about her and then she ended up talking to a person at, at the uh, Alpha I think it was or the Ashford and um, he pretty much said to her look we think this is what it is because of exclusion there's no cure at the moment if there is a cure we'll get in touch go and live your life you've got a disability and so they, they thought about it a bit and um, and decided to relocate somewhere that would lead to a better lifestyle for Sarah and and it's worked fairly well and and um, you know Dale's still her kept main carer and they're able to do things together you know small outings and trips and that sort of stuff and he's been able to work it so that he's got um, jobs that are based at home so distance jobs and that's you know that's one good thing that's come out of the pandemic and so yeah they they work it through she gets progr- progressively worse in small ways incremental ways that you don't you don't you don't notice when 
you're there all the time, but when you when you visit, you notice. And there's ups and downs and all the things that people talk about. But she's a good pacer, which which helps. So I think, um, like I said at the start, you, you can help in small ways, but it's really their journey as a couple and her journey as a as a individual. And we we can help how we we can help. And so it's kind of motivated me to think, well, maybe I can do a bit more uh, by being involved in Emerge. Right. So it sounds as though Sarah's MECFS has been going on for a very long time. Mm, it has. Mm, mm. What does that, um, how has that impacted, you know, your hopes and aspirations for your son and Sarah, and more importantly, how do you think that has impacted their hopes and aspirations for their future and, and their life? Has there been a sense of, of loss or of grief? Uh, how have they dealt with it? Well, I think they've accommodated and adapted and it's never a straight journey, but, uh, you know, we're proud of what they're done and what they're doing and I know Sarah's parents are as well and you know that's all you can you can hope for really and um you you cut your cloth don't you and, and that's what they've done and you know we we've both lots of parents have been able to help out in 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 helpful ways and important ways and in a continuous way and and, and I'm sure that has helped but at the end of the day it's it's something that they've they've uh, needed to work through themselves and accommodate themselves. Well, I mean, I'm sure that the uh, the contribution that all the families make and the family support is, is something that is critically important to them because certainly in that situation, uh, every bit of help that you can provide is is critical. So it's it's quite a journey for you to be able to observe you know, that one step removed and and great that you as a family are able to be so supportive, which brings me, I guess, to your role as chair of the board at Emerge Australia and what your aspirations may be for strengthening the voice of the person with MECFS and what your thoughts are about the role of Emerge Australia in doing that. I, I, I think I'd start with... Um, where I come from a bit because you, you come through the journey you know I've had a lot of different roles as you as you outlined and you and you kind of accumulate knowledge about how you think things should operate along the way and I guess um, starting out thinking I was going to be a geographer I still see things in spatial terms and and for me a lot of the problems that the world faces and that uh, emerge as an organisation and that individuals face geography problems, they're, they're problems of spatial distribution and resource allocation and those sorts of things. And even down at the you know personal level, if if you're bedbound or homebound, the um, social and spatial setting within which you live your life is something worthy of consideration. And so I kind of come at things from that perspective, but also. You add to that the sort of my interests, my career in adult education and learning and development, organisational development, human resources, change management, and um, you know research management and supporting researchers. 
and and so I come to this role thinking, well, what in those spaces can we do to strengthen uh, how emerge works and how the the system works around emerge and how we can influence. So, but in addition to that, that's the kind of what it's the how that interests me as well. So I've um, our parents brought us up to um, to be kind and considerate. To, um, you know, to think about others, to try and be happy in what we do and also uh, be good citizens. And so for me, you kind of bring those thoughts to bear on any role that you that you do. And so you try and have a kind approach to how you do a role like chairing a board and have positive expectations about how people around you will come on board or contribute. And so that's the kind of background. In terms of Emerge itself and, and the governance function, you know, it's pretty strong already, you know, tweaking something that's working. And and I might say, and you know what the most important job of a chair is, is getting the CEO. And I think I've done a brilliant job at that, <laughs> if I may say so. <laughs> um, and so, you know, you get the right person that you need for the role and then, and then you work with them. And, and the role of the chair is to support the CEO and support the staff and support the volunteers, but also support and enable the other members in the in the board. And so people who are volunteering their time uh, on the board need to feel valued. They need to feel as though the contribution they're making is actually making a difference, but that the skills that they bring to the board are actually being utilised. And so part of what I see myself doing is trying to fit people into the roles that are best for them um, either individually or t together. Again, in a, I'll get into specifics in a minute, just kind of talking around it if that's okay. Um, sure. In in terms of what you what you do with a board, you kind of go well. It's governance, but it's a bit about content, process, monitoring, and and support. And so you have to be alive to what needs to happen and the strategic plan process. And what the CEO wants to do are both important things. And you, so, as you know, we talk talk those things through. The process is um, is the bit that I've probably had a lot of experience with, which is the, the governance, the things you have to do to make things work well when you've got teams of people and individuals. And then there's no point setting anything as a goal or working with people if you're not monitoring what the hell's going on and that you're making progress towards what you want to do, being mindful of, the need to be flexible. And at the end of the day, I've always subscribed to a sort of inverted pyramid. Rather than the board being at the top of the tree, the board is actually at the bottom of the pyramid supporting the CEO and the staff to do their job, who then the CEO supports the staff, the staff support the people who provide a service to. And so it's always been helpful for me to think about service delivery in that way, at the mm. upside-down pyramid. Mm. And it lines up with my values around being kind and and supportive and those sorts of things. Any, anyway, in, in terms of the board itself, you set strategy and then you prosecute it. And you yeah. and you've got to keep things in mind. And so this year, for example, as you know, you know, you and I kicked around what what might be some joint board and management priorities for the for the calendar year. And we agreed those and the and the board agreed them. And so they 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 they're front of mind and they they support 
those things that support the strategic plan. They support the business planning and the work the work that you do, and um, and they're things that uh, you want to prosecute during that year that will support those things. And so they're things like, as you know, getting the risk framework rejigged and a new one in place, and engaging with our diverse community um, who aren't the diversity of the community isn't necessarily served how we would want to serve it and doing a midterm review of the strategic plan and things like that. Emerge Australia aims to ensure that anyone impacted by MECFS or long COVID has access to support, information and advocacy that empowers them with the knowledge and skills to make their lives more livable. We offer support to over half a million Australians who face MECFS and long COVID. So you've just mentioned the diversity of our community. Um, what are your thoughts about how that community can be more unified in order to impact better outcomes at the government level? Um, there's there's levels to it, and so the community people who are who are living with MECFS or caring for people, um, they need to have information so they know what the issues are, so they can be part of the advocacy message and and so the things that you you do with the newsletter and and these podcasts and other things will will help to educate that community about what they they should be expecting from their government and from their health providers and from emerge itself and that's that's important in terms of other organizations you know I'm a, a great believer in the value of partnership and and collaborations and I think I think that's the way that things need to get done. Uh, there are, and when you look at partnerships or collaborations, you know there's there's often only a very small overlap in the Venn diagram. But there are things that you can work on together that you can agree on, and you start and you work on those, and you leave the other stuff. And then the more you work together, the more you find oh, there's these other things that we actually have in common that we agree on, and we can do that work. And so, for me, um, the organisations that emerge works with and needs to work with um, should all be in the room and at the same table. And I know that you know this is how you view it as well, and that's important. And then uh, at a higher level, the various governments you know need to line up and be a bit more coordinated, and part of that's educating them about what could be and advocating for what could be. So I kind of see it in levels, the sure. community levels. Yeah, sure. So if you were Prime Minister for a day, what would you do that would impact better outcomes for people with MECFS? Well, well, I think I'd, I'd be doing more of the same because the government listens. You know, there's a, there's hundreds of health organisations and advocacy groups that all have a legitimate right to, to talk to the, the government and the Prime Minister. Good leaders listen not just to those that are close to them or those that talk the loudest, but they listen to the ones that they need to listen to and so the voices of the community are really important in this space and that and that's where you'll get to an understanding of what is needed on the ground for people and and that's how you will get more research money changes to the NDIS better support for individuals across the board by listening to the people so I guess though that if I was a listener uh, people would be saying, but they're not listening because we still don't have updated clinical guidelines. We still don't have 
more targeted money for research into MECFS. And right now, long COVID is taking the lion's share of the Medical Research Future Fund money. So I guess that if we play devil's advocate and uh, and put ourselves in the position of people who have been waiting for such a long time and are very frustrated and angry, they would say that even though government is telling us that they want to listen to the voice of the patient, uh, they're actually not listening to the voices of people with MECFS. What do you think Emerge Australia should be doing to change that? Well, again, I think we're, we've got a lot of things that we're doing that are on the right track by magnifying the voices and doing the sort of advocacy work that, that you're doing. Uh, as I said, there's a lot of noise from a lot of different organisations and somehow you have to elevate our voice above and, and there's multiple ways that that happens. You, you've got to do research. You've got to do research not just on the STEM stuff, but you've got to do research on uh, how people's journeys play out, how they interact with their GPs, how service provision is and isn't meeting needs and, and all, all those sorts of things. And so there's research informs public policy. So supporting the sort of things that we're supporting in research is, is important. Regular, more formal surveys or questionnaires that go out to people living with MECFS or caring for people is an important way of amplifying voices and that stuff's critical. Getting people involved in um, the equivalent of letter writing to amplify voices. They're the sorts of things that they sound traditional but they're important things to be done and I, I believe strongly in alliances and partnership and collaboration to amplify voices. When there's a group of organisations who are all lined up, who are all working in the same or similar spaces, and they come with a cogent, well-thought-out strategy, together with partners who can do the knowledge translation work to bring about the changes that are needed, then you've got something that a government listens to mm. or a funding body listens to. I guess one of the drawbacks is that we don't have that cohesive strategy and Emerge Australia is, as the National Patient Organisation, is the voice that speaks to government directly on behalf of the patient and uh, there are challenges involved in getting everybody onto the same page and singing out of the same hymn book, so to speak. So the challenge of our work needs to continue. Well, that's right. And I totally concur with what you're saying, that the sector needs to be more lined up, needs to work together better on the things that we can agree on, Yeah, knowing that there are many things that we don't agree on, but the things that you do agree on become the advocacy message. Yeah, and absolutely. then over time, and, th and this is what the international aid alliances and many of the international medical alliances have done. They find... The, uh, the common ground and they advocate on the common ground. And yep. it's extremely, as you know, it's extremely important and it's extremely successful. And it pushes you, know, pushes you up to the, the UN and other bodies where you can have a voice at those sort of places as well. So Yeah, absolutely. Of course, we're working through now with the World Emmy Alliance as well. So finally, uh, Mark, 
If you were to give our listeners impacted by MECFS one message of hope for the future, what would that be as chair of the Emerge Australia Board? I think it's that we have an organisation that has a track record and we have an organisation that is doing the right things and that is listening to you. And over time, we leverage that to bring about the sorts of changes that are needed and the sorts of changes that are needed. You outlined so well, Anne. It's the increased money for research. It's the clinical guidelines. It's the the money to support people to expand services. And it's the um, NDIS changes, things like that, that we can help bring about. And, of course, you know, there's the AI means that the sort of research that's being done um, can be accelerated. And so it's it's highly likely that there will be diagnostic tests quite soon and there will be some ability to, to do some widespread um, testing of, of people to build the knowledge base to be able to do that testing. And, and that's why, just to digress for a moment, that's why it's important that we have um, the registry and the biobank and that there are other countries with registries and biobanks so that researchers can collaborate, share their research, because when you're dealing with multimodal causes, which it appears that MECFS is, you need to be doing research in different countries with different people with different backgrounds, and that's how you lead to the the solutions and, and the causes for multimodal disease. So I said that the last question was the last question, but it wasn't really. <laughs> Because <laughs> I've got another one. Um, uh, and that is about, from your perspective, how important would it be for our government to implement a post-infection disease strategy that includes MECFS? Well, I think I think it's critical. And, and it's interesting, some stuff I've read recently um, points to the fact that uh, even the naming of long COVID um, has been done to and and the has been maintained to distance it from syndromes and other chronic conditions that are stigmatised and and syndrome is another one of those words that in the literature is seen as as a stigmatised word because it's associated with with um, groups that have been historically stigmatised. And so um, long COVID has provided us with uh, some benefits in an advocacy sense, but there's still a lot of hurdles to go over. I think it's critical. I think it's critical that we um, have a national strategy for post-infectious diseases or whatever we choose to call it as a country. Um MECFS is one manifestation of of those syndromes, but it's a critical one and, and it needs to be addressed. So I think it's it's quite important, particularly because of the medical and social factors that impact on finding cures, finding diagnostic tests, looking at treatment modalities, and how people are treated in the community and 
by the health profession as a whole and they're part of the same system and so they they have the same um, biases operating on them and time pressures operating on them. So it's important for several reasons, not just the medical side of it but the social and the oh, absolutely. political it's, side of it. So what we're saying now is that uh, whilst we don't necessarily have all the scientific answers to say that MECFS and long COVID are the same, what we do know is that the impact of both diseases is identical and what we're wanting is for government to focus on that impact and address the needs not only of those people with long COVID but people with MECFS and that absolutely needs to happen but it needs to happen within a national framework which currently we don't have. And so if um, our Honourable Health Minister is listening to this podcast, that is what Australia needs, a national post-infection disease strategy that includes MECFS because its impact is the same on the individual and on the lives of, of individuals and their families as that of long COVID. So we need to do something about it. More needs to happen. That's right, and and the sort of things I was talking about explain why it's difficult to get there. Yeah, it it's right. a complex. Yeah. Yep, Mark. It's I absolutely been... agree with you. <laughs> it's been a delight speaking to you, Chair of the Emerge Australia Board. Thank you for your time and for your willingness to share your personal stories on behalf of your family, um, your story, and that of others who participate in our podcast series is making a difference. So thank you very much for coming on. Thanks, Anne, and hopefully it was helpful. Thank you. Yes, definitely. So the Emerge Australia podcast series seeks to speak with people of influence and those whose voices need to be heard. This is a platform where we can together explore the pressing issues faced by 250,000 people with MECFS and at least 400,000 more with long COVID. If the content of this or other Emerge Australia podcasts has triggered an emotional response for which you need assistance, contact Lifeline on 13111114, their crisis support and suicide prevention service. You may also go onto the Emerge Australia website where we've listed emergency services. Tune in again for our next interview and don't forget that for more information and to subscribe, to the Emerge Australia newsletter, visit our website on www.emerge.org.au. Mark, thanks again for coming on and speaking with me today and bye for now. Thank you. You may say that I'm a dreamer But I'm not the only I hope someday you'll join us And the world